Hey y'all, welcome to Beyond Consulting, the podcast dedicated to helping listeners navigate their career after consulting. I'm Stephen Haug, host of Beyond Consulting and director at ECA Partners. Each week on the podcast, we host folks who have spent some time in consulting, but have since made a pivot or career change. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Narudin Barani, former associate consultant at BCG and the current chief strategy officer at EAB. Narudin, welcome to Beyond Consulting. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. Good. Well, we started off here, I uh, already mentioned your current position as chief strategy officer at EAB. What do you say we start there? I'd love to hear a little bit about the organization and then the role that you play. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, EAB is primarily focused in the higher education sector. We serve 17, 1800 or more universities and colleges, largely domestically in the U.S. market. And we support them across their big up at night issues. And those these days are things like enrollment and how do I get students in seat? It is about student success. How do I retain students? Once they are in seat, there is an abysmal retention rate in the U.S. when it comes to higher education. And so we're very much focused on that. And we address a variety of these kind of up at night issues through our best practice research as well. We have some 1,700 employees, largely in the U.S., We are a mission-oriented organization that is private equity-backed at this stage, and a lot of passionate people trying to make education smarter and our community stronger, which is our mission. Good. Well, great to hear that. Tell me a little bit more about how you're solving some of these up-at-night issues. Is this a technology solution or, you know, just making things easier for students or... Yeah, there's there's a combination of things that we do. I'd say first and foremost... We started off as a best practice research organization. So if you're familiar with the corporate executive board or the advisory board, Gartner, that's kind of the pedigree here, which is going to decision makers and executives, as it happens in education with our industry of focus, and simply asking, what are the big up at night issues you're dealing with? And then responding to those with best practice research insights and advice that we glean through thousands of conversations really across the year with their peers. So we talk to VPs of enrollment around the country. We talk to provosts and presidents around the country. And so we're getting a very good sense, both through our primary work, being in the industry, talking to experts, our secondary uh, research work, essentially what's working around these big enough nature. What's working, what's not working, and how do we disseminate those ideas that work in a way that is understandable and actionable across the industry. So that's kind of part one, we do best practice research. That ends up becoming foundational for the other things that we do. We do a lot of work in technology. And one of the kind of aha moments in our journey has been, hey, we don't have to stop at just research. We can actually help hardwire those best practices into organizations using technology or in some cases, tech-enabled services. So when it comes to that student success problem I mentioned, we have a technology platform, essentially a student success management system, if you will, branded Navigate in the market, which identifies at-risk students who may not retain or graduate, and then workflow software for advisors to help intervene with those students in a best practice kind of way. So that's kind of some of what we do around technology. We also have some tech-enabled services where we 
leverage a lot of data in the market to fuel, for example, services in the enrollment marketing and recruitment space. So again, helping schools find right fit students to enter as freshmen. And increasingly, we're also doing a lot of work around adult learner recruitment as well. That's great. Are you serving mostly two-year colleges or four-year institutions? We work across the board. We have, I think at this point, almost a couple of thousand schools that we work with. So they are they span two-year and four-year, and we exclusively work with nonprofit organizations in, in the education sector. We do a little bit of work in K-12 and some increasing work in the corporate space, because one of the things that we've realized is, hey... We have access to a lot of data and essentially a talent pipeline across the students that we engage, literally millions of them. And uh, corporations are now saying, hey, how can you help us around this education to employment pathway? And so we're increasingly doing work for corporations. Oh, that's really interesting. So started off by helping students succeed in their education and then thinking through how to, to push them even further. Yeah, so not just success when it comes to graduation, but success when it comes to post-graduation outcomes as well, which is often about either grad school or getting a job. And how do you, you know, the same way we find right fit students for schools, the question we're asking ourselves strategically is how do we find right fit employees for corporations? And some of those capabilities are similar. Some are obviously different, but that's kind of a new kind of horizon for us that we're pursuing from a strategic standpoint. Wanted to dive into one of the problems that you mentioned earlier here, the retention rate. You said that that's a, I was surprised to hear that that's a, a very big problem. Can you tell us a little bit more about how many folks are dropping out? Yeah, it's probably surprising because you probably went to a selective school with a very high graduation rate. There are a lot of schools in this country that aren't that selective and who play a very important role in terms of providing education opportunities to folks across the country. And uh, yeah, there is a significant issue around retention and graduation rates. And I'm not going to have the number exactly right, but it probably is around 50% or so graduation rates across a six-year period. And we can kind of look that up, but it is in that range. And that's tough. It's tough for schools who spend a lot of resources, time, energy in recruiting those students, only to see a lot of them fade away. That's not great for their mission. It's certainly not great for their economics and some of the kind of financial struggles and challenges that they face. And so it's a really important issue, not to say anything around kind of broader societal kind of implications. And, you know, there's lots of root causes, right? Like paying for education, the return on education, like what I'm spending time, energy, resources, what are my post-graduation outcomes back to kind of that theme and why it's so important for us. Interesting. You know, thinking back to what I imagine you're doing in your BCG days, you develop a playbook, right? And the problems that you would solve, you know, BCG had probably seen very similar problems over and over again. So you kind of had the toolkit to dive in and solve those problems. Whenever you're working with millions of individual people, I expect that each one of those you know, motivations for leaving their education, each one of those is slightly different. Are you able to develop a playbook? It's kind of a one size fits all for most of those problems, or do you have individual approaches that you build for each institution? So there are some common buckets of reasons, right? So you can, you know, with our research can start identifying you know, here's some kind of common patterns, and that's kind of what we try to address. Um, 
we know at a more kind of detailed level, we understand what decisions that a student makes, which, you know, portend, you know, either moving on and retaining and graduating or potential kind of failure to do so. Things like, are they taking the right courses in their first year? Have they picked their program of study? Are they taking easy courses or harder courses? And again, with a particular pathway or program of study, we can understand how some of those decisions or outcomes, grades, and how they do in those courses, again, portend a good scenario or a bad scenario, and we can intervene at that stage. But no, you're right. Every student's different. And at the same time, there are real kind of discernible patterns that we identify and try to address in the work we do. Is there a measure for success? Let's say you got 80% retention rates. Is that one? Is that the goal that you set? It's going to depend on the school. If you're at 50% and you can increase your retention rates by three, four, five points, that's significant. Depending on how big you are, that could be thousands of students. And so it really depends on the school. We obviously work with each of those individual schools to understand what their goals are and to work with them accordingly. Good. Well, it's really interesting. I think that we could chat a lot more about this. But before we do that, I want to rewind a little bit and understand how you became the chief strategy officer at EAB. And let's go ahead and, and start back at uh, BCG, if you don't mind. That's your first job out of college? Yeah, that's right. I actually was studying engineering in college, and I was part of a co-op program. I went to the University of Waterloo in Canada. I think Northeastern has a a similar kind of co-op structure, but I find a little more common in Canada, and Waterloo is kind of known for this kind of cooperative program where you go to school for four months, you work for four months, and through five years of that, you end up with a couple years of experience and you get paid, which means I kind of left school without a debt, which was nice. So really strong program. In any case, in my last work term, I had a counselor suggest to me that I should apply to the Boston Consulting Group. All my jobs were in software design and development, and so I had no idea what management consulting was. She did not do a great job in explaining that to me, but at her suggestion, did apply an interview on campus. I had two interviews. The first interview, the individual, I still remember him and who he was. And he said to me, you know, he started giving me a case and I had no idea what a a case was. And he started talking about like a manufacturing plant and these three machines and the throughput. And he said to me, hey, as I was staring at him kind of blankly, you might want to write this down. And I said, well, I I don't actually have any paper to write on. (laughs) And I remember him reaching into his briefcase and basically throwing me a pad of paper. So it didn't start off that well, but uh, I had completed those two interviews. I guess they went better than I expected. I got offered a summer internship, had a really good experience working on a couple of cases. And then they offered me a kind of a job after I graduated. And that's kind of where things started. And I had, as you can imagine, in the kind of management consulting kind of context, a bunch of different cases. I've worked with different managers and partners. I got to see a lot of industries. And so it was, you know, just a very strong kind of foundational experience for me. That's great. And you spent about two years at BCG? I spent three years there, yeah. And then took a job at the advisory board. Is that right? Correct. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, the advisory board in some ways similar to consulting, but different mission, different problems that they're solving. Can you tell us a little bit about the differences? Yeah. The advisory board at the time, kind of like consulting. I mean, I would kind of maybe call it syndicated consulting. So we weren't doing a lot of kind of individual work with healthcare systems or hospitals, but we were, again, back to that notion of best practice research and advice. 
we were looking for patterns, kind of common up at night issues that healthcare executives were facing, and then doing deep research and providing insights around those issues. So I would say not quite consulting in the way you'd think about it, but more syndicated research and, you know, quote unquote, consulting for a large group of hospitals and healthcare systems. I'd say that's the difference. Ultimately, we became more of a product company, again, technology, tech-enabled services. And so very different from consulting in that way, right? This was an organization providing research technology and services to a vertical market, not always at the kind of 50,000-foot strategy level, but getting very kind of operational at times and solving kind of on-the-ground problems. And so very similar in one sense in terms of kind of research and looking for root cause issues and providing strategic advice, but also very different in terms of the types of services and products that we were providing. Hmm, that makes sense. While you're at BCG, you know, finishing up your third year, lots of opportunities out there for you to move into. What was it about the advisory board that was particularly appealing? Yeah, I'd seen in consulting, you know, I was doing a lot of work in financial services, automotive. I worked for like a stock exchange in, in Toronto and in Singapore. I did pharmaceutical work. All of it was really interesting, but for me, it was lacking a bit of continuity or I wasn't able to kind of stick with these companies over a longer period of time and really play out some of these strategies and recommendations. I found that a little unfulfilling at times. And two, I think perhaps more importantly, I was attracted to more kind of mission-oriented kind of companies. And, you know, the advisory board, literally, I read a mission statement and a list of five values on their website. And that's what motivated me to kind of reach out to them. I resonated with what they were trying to do and how they were trying to do it on the basis of values that really resonated with me personally. And that's kind of the draw for me. It was kind of a mission-oriented company with some touch points with consulting. So like, hey, this sounds familiar, but boy, I could apply this in the healthcare context with a ton of smart people, many of which did come from consulting. And so that was kind of the real draw to the advisory board at the time. Interesting. So similar types of skill set, it sounds like maybe a, a little bit more research heavy at the advisory board. Were there any gaps in your BCG toolkit that you recognized quickly whenever you made the move? Not initially, because I was part of the research org and that felt very familiar, like, hey, break down a problem into root cause, synthesize ideas and analysis, communicate, disseminate those ideas in a compelling way. Those all felt like familiar building blocks for which BCG was an incredible training ground. As I got into some of the other areas of the business in terms of technology and some tech-enabled services, even though I was part of the innovation function, which was, you know, new product development, strategy, M&A, the big kind of difference was you have to be prepared and appreciate kind of the operational consequences of some of those strategic decisions. And certainly when I was at BCG, we were making strategic recommendations and trying to appreciate, obviously, organizational and cultural context. But when you're in it and you are the person responsible for the strategy and making sure that that plays out with results, accounting for operational complexity, organizational complexity, culture, who's doing what and how does actual work happen in an organizational context, that's different. That felt different and something I felt I had to kind of learn and get good at. 
let's say somebody is at BCG or another top tier consulting firm. They're working on lots of projects. There's probably some things they, they get excited about, some things that they're less excited about. What would someone have to tell you that they're excited about for you to recommend the advisory board to them as a next step in their career? Yeah. And I should say the advisory board grew and evolved. We ended up starting kind of a new practice area around education that got spun out. And I'm now part of an advisory board successor, which is EAB. But whether it's the advisory board owned separately or EAB, I would say back to what I said before, which is mission. Like, hey, for me, education was life-changing. I came to Canada as a refugee from East Africa the one thing my parents told me was like, hey, just get educated. Like people can take things away from you like they took away from us when we were refugees, but they can't take away what's inside your head. And so just get educated. So for me, it was like incredibly resonant. And so if you can identify a passion and that's what you want to do, that's compelling, right? I mean, again, at BCG, I think you get a lot of looks and I was only there for three years, maybe as you kind of grow your career there, you can kind of specialize, get deeper, but you're still not part of an organization with a mission, a particular mission in a space with agency to kind of deliver against that. And so I'd say if you have a passion, if you're mission oriented, an EAB, an advisory board, these are, I think, special organizations that allow you to kind of move against that mission with skills that are going to be incredibly useful from your management consultancy career. Great. Thanks for that. I think that that advice will be very helpful to a lot of the consultants out there listening. I wanted to hear more about the birth of EAB and then your transition from the advisory board into working for EAB itself. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's a very interesting story, but in terms of my transition, at the advisory board, we were doing kind of generating these incredible insights, research, best practices for healthcare executives. And what we realized was that foundational kind of capability we could apply in other industries. And when we looked at education, we saw a lot of similarities. We saw an industry that was not as mature in terms of business practices, their digital journey, so on and so forth. We saw similar kind of organizational dynamics with the nonprofits, you know, federal funding, we saw similarities with kind of faculty and physicians. These are kind of, in some ways, agents of these organizations, not necessarily staff or hired by these organizations that's changing in healthcare. We saw a lot of similarities is the point. And we thought, hey, how can we apply this kind of core research skill set, best practice research skill set to another industry? And we started by simply asking what we always ask, which is what keeps you up at night? And we called up provost and we asked that question. And we realized, hey, as in healthcare, we're seeing some really strong patterns. And these are patterns against which we can provide really interesting insights and advice. That was the moment. That was the genesis. It's the same way the advisory board started. It's the same way the corporate executive board started before that. What keeps you up at night? Can we provide value-added research? Answer, yes. And again, the innovation in the business model, both for the advisory board and EAB, was you don't have to stop at just providing research and best practices. Let's actually build the tools, the technology, the products to hardwire those best practices into these organizations. And so if you look at the trajectory of EAB, research, and then on top of that, building products and technologies and services to help solve those problems, not just advise on those problems. And so that's how it started. 
For me personally, I've been in kind of an innovation function for years at the advisory board. And as we started scaling, my CEO said, hey, would you like to come over? We need somebody to kind of lead our new product development function that quickly evolved into kind of a hybrid kind of organic new product development function plus a corp dev M&A function. And so our mandate now in my function is growth and growth strategy using both kind of organic and inorganic leaders. Great. And as you grow the team over there in the company at EAB, do you ever look to current or former consultants as potential employees? Yes, yes, absolutely. I have a couple of them on my team. And again, it's just such a strong foundational experience. And so it comes with a, it's a bit of a union card, right? Like you come from a BCG or McKinsey or, a, or whatever it is, and you know that they're going to have had a certain set of experiences, a certain kind of rigorous training. And I think most importantly, understand the standard of what excellence looks like. Sometimes it's hard to teach that. And so if you're coming with that, again, it's just such a great foundation for the type of work that we do. What's next for EAB? What do you see in terms of the future of the organization? You know, I mentioned a little bit of it. We have such a strong presence in higher education. And for us, I think it's continuing to serve institutions, our two-year and four-year colleges and universities around their big problems continuing to solve the student success issue writ large, both in terms of finding right students for the right schools, helping them retain graduation outcomes. So I need to graduate, but then, hey, do I want to go back to school? Do I need to get a job? What kind of job should I get? Where are my skills aligned? Where am I going to feel fulfilled? Those are meaningful questions that relate directly to our mission but also open up you know, new business opportunities for us, as I said, in the corporate space. And so that is a significant area of focus for us going forward. Are there any problems that you're trying to solve that can't be solved at the institution level, but rather need to be elevated to policy or government level? I mean, I think one is the whole issue of financial aid, which I'm sure you've read about, and there's some movement there. But structurally, debt is becoming difficult for the average student to address. And there's a lot of root issues there. It's not just kind of governments need to kind of fix the kind of funding financial aid issue. It is multifactorial. Institutions obviously have a role to play. Uh, In some ways, the business of education has not changed fundamentally for very long. Education has a very slow metabolic rate. But things, you know, you are seeing things change. You are starting to see more cost-effective delivery of education. And that's kind of hopefully translating into tuition. But there, I think there is a kind of larger kind of funding financial aid issue in the country, which we can't always do something about directly. Again, it's multifactorial and we're trying to do our part around that. Based on the problems you're trying to solve, it sounds like you become true partners to the institutions. Once you start working with a, a college or university, how long are you working with them? You know, at BCG, you know, usually you finish a project, you step away, jump on the next one. Is that a similar type of setup at EAB? No, it's, you know, if we're doing our job, we're working for an institution for, you know, for years, tens of years. You know, the work we do is renewable and recurring by nature because we are 
trying to solve a set of evergreen issues and make sure that we are, you know, the student success issue, you get students coming every year to kind of address their challenges. And so it is, again, recurring by nature. But look, our biggest kind of mark of success is our own retention rates. Can we retain our clients year after year? And I think it is a source of pride for EABers that we do tend to retain our partners at a very high rate. That is the ultimate nod to, hey, what you are doing is moving the dial. And, and if we continue to do that, we'll work with our partners for many, 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 many years. Good. Well, Narudin, I appreciate you walking us through your story. Do you have any advice for current consultants thinking about the next step in their career? You know, I guess two things. Consulting is a certain kind of, it has its characteristics, right? It's the project-based work. It's working for a variety of institutions in different sectors. It is, at least when I was there, kind of more kind of strategy 30,000 feet, and I don't pretend to know how some of these organizations are evolving. I've seen a couple of consulting firms get into some interesting areas and, and kind of more kind of product focused areas. But anyways, I just think, you know, know what consulting is about and contrast that with what's out there and ask yourself, hey, are there things about being in industry or being at a nonprofit, whether it's mission, being able to be part of a team for an ongoing basis, that continuity are there things about that that feel attractive? And is there a good transition point where you can really draw a lot of benefit out of your experience in management consulting to kind of benefit you in other sectors? The other thing I'd say, the biggest thing I learned in consulting, if I were to boil it down just from a skills perspective, I had a partner tell me once early in my career, hey, consulting is all about framing your ignorance. That is, you're not going to know a lot of things. But if you know what you don't know, and you can frame that up for somebody, you can ask the right people. You can ask people that are smarter than you, that have the content knowledge. And that's just one thing I've just taken away over the years. It has made me more of a Socratic leader, asking questions, seeking to understand. And, you know, asking questions can be powerful, both to kind of frame your ignorance and fill in the blanks, but also from an interpersonal standpoint, asking somebody a question implies trust in that individual I think raises confidence. And I just think it's just one thing that I've learned and, and I've taken away over the years. And so if you're in consulting today, what are some of those things that you're learning? Because they're going to be really helpful. I've said generically, it's a great foundation, but you're learning some really interesting skills. Some are hard, some are soft. Identify them, write them down, enumerate them. They will serve you as you kind of continue your career. Good. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Naruda. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure our audience does as well. And again, thanks so much for joining us today on Beyond Consulting. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Likewise. Thanks, Stephen. 